Well, all right, church. Um, uh, it's a, just great to kind of be uh, rallied again on Sunday, even though maybe you're looking at your TV, uh, whether you're by yourself or with other people, but just to be able to worship the Lord. Uh, this is his day. It's the day that he made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, and so uh, we're going to just have that posture of gratitude today as we enter in to the word. Why don't you go ahead and send a message to somebody, let them know uh, that you're thinking about them and pass the peace to someone. Uh, specifically, maybe even there's someone that God brings to mind that you know needs a little extra peace in their life right now. So maybe just text the word peace to them. Uh, Let them know that you're thinking about them and that God loves them and that you do too. So go ahead and pass the peace. And while you're doing that, I want to mention that this week, actually, probably in the next day or so, uh, you should be receiving something in the mail from us uh, that is an impact report. Uh, We decided to uh, take a look at the last year uh, since we were all kind of disconnected from one another and it's hard to know what's going on in our church and kind of do a summary of some uh, just some great things that God has done in the life of our church. And I'm going to tell you, I was so incredibly encouraged looking at that report, working on it, putting it together about what God did last year. Absolutely blown away. I'm not, this isn't pastor speak. This isn't leader hype. This is genuinely moved by God with gratitude for all that he did last year. And so I want to encourage you to take the time to look through that report uh, and see, see what's on there. Look at the things that God has done and celebrate and rejoice. And then I hope that hope begins to rise in your heart for what God will do in 2021. I've never been more confident confident about who the the church is called to be, Big C, and about who we are called to be as a church. I am fired up for what Jesus wants to do in the life of his people. The church is advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing. He is putting hope and love and peace and joy, and our hearts are on our lips, and I cannot wait to just see how it unfolds in this year, regardless of what's going on around us. The world might be crumbling around us, but, but we know that God will build his church and he will return one day for a victorious church. And I'm excited to be on that side, on the winning side of what's going on in the grand scheme of things in the world. And so I hope that that report encourages you. Um, We would just love to even hear some feedback from you. If for some reason you didn't get that then please email megan at fusionchurch.com and we will make sure that you get that. And again, I want to thank you for the ways that you faithfully give to our church. So included in that should be your giving statement and the ways that you've invested in our church and tithes and offering. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. And after you see the great work that God has done to actually double down and commit to seeing God do even more. Uh, I'm excited for all of that. All right, let's dive in. So we have been looking over the last few weeks at this idea of God being our first love, of this responding to this invitation where God is asking us to kind of really evaluate and and discern whether or not he is our first love. You know, this week as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded what a crazy idea it is that God asks of his people to love him. You know, every religion in the world has a different, different sets of belief systems and different ways that you engage God. But, but Christianity is, is so unique in that we are invited into a relationship of love with a God who loved us first. No other faith on the planet can claim what our faith can claim. So God is inviting us into this relationship of love. And we've explored some different themes related to that. What does it mean to love God? Well, we kind of said it breaks down to desire and devotion. 
that our, our affections, our feelings, our heart is oriented around who God is, and then we're committed to what pleases him and what's good for him. That's what that whole devotion piece is look, looks like. And then we talked a little bit about how uh, we want to feel that way. We want our whole soul, everything that we are, to be oriented around who God is. But there are times in life where it feels like that uh, isn't exactly how we feel and how we have certain barriers uh, to loving God in the way that we know maybe we ought to, and how what we really need is an encounter with God, uh, where we see him for who he really is, we see the world for, the, for what it is, and we're drawn in and say, God, I know I want to love you more, I know I want to be with you, and that, that helps us to overcome some hurdles. So we, we've talked a, a little bit about that. And then we talked just briefly, and we're going to dive into this more today, about how God doesn't want to just be one ask, one person that we love or one thing that we love, but he wants to be uh, the very first love in our lives. And we're going to break that down starting today and dig into that a little bit more. Um, and, um, and, and then last week, we, we kind of looked at how we have these different things competing for our love. And God doesn't want our love and our affection to be directed towards him just because, uh, just for his purposes. He doesn't just want it from us. He wants it for us, that we're made in a specific kind of way. And that when our heart is divided, when we give our love and our devotion, our desire and devotion to other things, it actually has disastrous effects on us. And God, because he loves us, doesn't want that for us. And so today we're going to zero in on this concept of what does it mean to put God first and to love God with all that we have and all that we are. Remember, our key text here is Luke chapter 10, verse 27 where Jesus uh, and this man are having this conversation. It's repeated in the other Gospels, in, in Matthew and in Mark, and it's all the way back in the Deuter Deuteronomy chapter 6, where, where God clearly instructs his people that they should love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and then with all of their strength. And that's specifically the way it's phrased here in this text, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. So there's these four different components here. Let me just pray, and we're going to dive into these concepts. So Lord, I just pray for um, a special anointing and a grace uh, on the words that I'm going to say, God, that they would be more than words. It would be more than teaching. They would be more um, than just thoughts about who you are and thoughts that I have, God, but let them be, God, something that feels like they're very the very thoughts and wisdom of God, that the truth of God would separate even spirit and soul, like your word says. God, I pray that even today, reverence for the word and the truth of God will begin to just to settle into our hearts and our minds so that we can receive what it is that you have for us and that can unlock places of freedom where we're feeling bound up, Lord. And I pray, God, that there will just be divine revelation today that you will shed in every heart, God, and open up new vistas for people to see and understand your love. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's something here. We have these four different aspects, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and uh, we're going to get into those, but there's a little word, all. And that word, all, is repeated in this text four times with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your mind, all of your soul. And that word, all, is obviously a kind of a simple kind of word. We all know what it means. It's, it's really profound, though, when you think about what <laughs> what this is asking for. It means completely, totally, 
that there's nothing withheld, that, that every component, every aspect of it is given over to God. It, every, there is nothing that is lacking. All means all. Now, all can mean different things to kids, I've noticed. When I say, hey, have you finished all of your food? And they say, yes. And I go and look at their plate and I see that there's food clearly on their plate. We have a different definition of all. Or if I ask them, hey, have you done all of your chores? And we walk in the room and then there are toys and, you know, kind of the room is a mess or whatever. And they say, yes, we've done all our chores. Then we have a different definition of all. But all means all, totally and completely. And what Jesus is saying here in this text is, you have to love me with all, (laughs) with everything that you have. What he's looking for here from the, what God is looking for from his people is that we're not withholding anything, that there's nothing left on our plate, so to speak, that we have completed whatever it is that God has asked us to complete, that we have given him all, that there's nothing competing. There's no division in us. Now, it would be taking Jesus' words out of context for us to Uh, kind of think that what Jesus means is we can't love our family, we can't love our spouse, we can't love our kids, or, you know, we can't love our brothers and sisters or friends. That's not what he means. It doesn't mean that you have to have so much love for me that there's nothing for anyone else. It's just that there can't be any competition in love. That what what he's asking for is that the, the best of what we have is being offered to him in love. Not necessarily that we can't love other people, but, but if, if, the two, if I have to choose between the two, that I will choose God every single time. So that's kind of what he's looking at. There can't be any competition for our love. And just remember that when that competition happens, Jesus says, this is not good for you. When your treasure and what, what's in your heart is divided, this isn't good for you. It's going to leave you a fractured person. And his promise to us is that he, if we put him in that place where he has our all, then he will take care of all of the other things that we want and that we love. Now we get to this list, all right? So he says, love me with all. And then he lists these four things, heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now, remember that this isn't like new information. As a matter of fact, this isn't even Jesus in this passage saying that this is how we should love God. This is another person who has knew this about the Old Testament and then probably has heard Jesus give this teaching. And so he's simply um, parroting back what he knows to be true. Um, So uh, this this idea of loving God with all and with these different aspects has been around all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. So a century or more have gone by since this idea has been in people's minds. Now, these words, um, heart, soul, mind, and strength, can be broken down so that there's these different nuances of what it means to love God with different parts of what it means to be a human being. And we're going to do that. We're going to look over the next few weeks at at each one of these and kind of see what what is the angle that it gives us on what it means to love God. But the truth of the matter is that these words are not neat and tidy kind of biblical categories that explain what a human person is. So actually, if you were uh, reading your Bible in in Hebrew or in Greek, there are some times where the explicit word that's there is heart, but it's translated mind into English. 
And, and sometimes the word mind and heart are used in the very same kind of way. Same thing with soul and strength. These are words that are used somewhat interchangeably. And, and actually, the more you dig into how these words are used, you actually find that there's a lot more kind of fluidity between their, these words, that they're not like neat and tidy descriptions the way that we like to think about them. You know, we, especially now in kind of our, our modern kind of um, uh, scientific understanding, we know that there are functions that the brain has and the heart has. And then there's this mysterious thing uh, that's like our spiritual side of ourselves, you know. So, so the Bible isn't thinking exactly in those 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 kind of categories. And Jesus isn't thinking in those kind of categories. They're used interchangeably. So why does, the, why does Jesus mention them elsewhere? And why does the Bible talk about these at all? Well, the most basic way to explain this is there are different aspects to explain, uh, or re, I'm sorry, different aspects to refer to a whole person. So sometimes the Bible uses the word heart as a way to, des- to describe what is essential to a person. Uh, without heart, a person is not a person. Or sometimes it uses the word mind to describe something that's essential to a person or soul or strength. There are different ways of referring to a whole person. So that if you don't have a soul, if you, if you aren't a soul, you aren't a human being. If you don't have a mind, let's say, then you are a fully functioning, healthy human being. So they're not necessarily these neat and tidy kind of compartmentalized versions of what it means. So these components that you add them up and you get a human, like a recipe. Uh, you know, we need equal parts heart, equal parts mind, equal parts soul, and then we get a human. Actually, these are way to, different ways to refer to a whole person. And again, there are some nuances that we're going to explore. Um, but basically, we, if we were to take any one of these things out of a human being, it would cease to be a human being in the biblical kind of worldview. So these are words that describe what it is to be human, to be a living, breathing, thinking, feeling, individual created person before God. And that this kind of person that's, that's made up and described in these different kinds of ways, that whatever word it is we're using to describe what a human being is, it needs to, uh, we, our love needs to, to be flowing from, from that in, in its absolute complete degree. It's all of that aspect of who I am. So if I'm talking about myself as a feeling person that we often associate with heart, every feeling must be oriented towards God and love God. If I'm thinking of, if I'm talking about my, my thoughts and the mind, I'm thinking about every thought is oriented towards God and so on and so forth. So give all of your desire and all of your devotion and every aspect of what it means to be a human. And so sometimes these words are just shorthand. So when Jesus lists these four, or the person lists these four. Or back in the Old Testament when it, when it lists these different components. It's just different ways of saying every aspect of who you are needs to love God. There can't be any part of you where there isn't love for God. There can't be any part of you where there's divided desire and loyalty. It's all meant to be oriented towards him. And it's all meant to be devoted to him. That love for God... This is important, I think, for us to grab. That love for God is felt in these different parts, flows from these different parts, 
is an expressed by these different parts. We're gonna explore that in the coming weeks, but, but in every single part of us, that, that love is there. It, we, we feel it there, we experience it there, we somehow express it there, it flows from these places, and we're gonna explore what that means a little bit. And this is so critically important for us to understand that the Bible isn't looking at human beings as these compartmentalized creatures, like, the, like I said, like a recipe, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and that's what makes you human. Actually, the Bible's view of what makes us human being is very complex. Maybe even um, as we understand more about how the brain works with the body, it's actually revealing more of what the scriptures have to say about how uh, we, are, we are very, all these parts of us are so interconnected. They're not neatly, neat and tidy pieces of us that can be easily separated out. And actually the Bible is really clear about that, but that's so critically important because we tend to think of love for God in very compartmentalized kinds of ways. So for many of us, love for God is contained in a kind of feeling and associated with the heart. For many of us, love for God is primarily about the way I think or the way maybe I read the Bible or understand the Bible. And that feels somewhat disconnected from the heart. For other people, um, loving God is associated with a particular kind of expression of love. So maybe singing in worship or uh, dancing or uh, music or whatever it is. So, so it feels like I'm not loving God unless I'm expressing it in this particular kind of way. Or maybe even love for God can be tied to a particular kind of place. So you feel like I don't love God unless um, I'm, I'm expressing that in the context of a church or in a worship service. But the truth is the way that God has made us, he's made us... Um, Thinking, feeling, desiring, um, emotional, social, intellectual. Uh, he, he's made us with all these different aspects, all these complexities. Actually, I love the psalm. Um, it's, it's Chloe's favorite psalm where, where the human is, where David is kind of reflecting on how God has created him. Uh, and in reflecting on how God has created him, he realizes, man, I'm a really complex creature. And you know what's interesting about that psalm is he doesn't actually then praise humanity as, oh my gosh, we're so great. It actually causes him to reflect back on God and say, God, who are you? You are so awesome that you would have made us so complex. And actually, if we look at how God has wired us, it should cause us to go, who made this beautiful, incredible creature? It, it, it has to be turned back into love for God. So the truth is that our love can't just be compartmentalized to different um, kind of aspects or thoughts or expressions or places. Actually, our love for God should be um, experienced in every single aspect of who it, who we are as human beings. Again, it's felt in these different aspects. It flows from these different aspects and expressed in these different parts. And when, uh, when we kind of, um, 
compartmentalize that aspect of loving God, we're missing out on part of what it means to truly be human. Remember, again, God wants us to experience life to the full. He actually says right here in this, in this passage that this is how we experience eternal life. It's by loving God with all of these aspects of who we are. So if we're not loving God with all of these aspects of who we are, it means that in some way we're not experiencing the eternal life that God wants for us to experience one day in eternity, but can break into the here and now. We are missing out on an opportunity to truly be alive when we limit our love for God to one particular aspect and a heart of one particular idea of what love looks like. The truth is that loving God with all of your mind is going to bring your heart along with you. You can't love God with all your mind and it not affect your heart. And you can't love God with all of your heart and it not affect your mind. You can't love God with all of your soul and it not affect your strength and so on and so forth. There's no way. So actually, as the more we press into this, the more we learn how, how all of these pieces are so interconnected so that God isn't just wanting to save one aspect of us. He's wanting to save us to the uttermost, everything, head to toe, who we are. There's a, I'm going to do this, and this is going to be a clunky metaphor, but, but bear with me. I mentioned last week how um, the, the way to maybe think about how giving God all of our desire and our devotion, loving him, is, is that we're meant to orbit around him like the earth orbits around the sun. So, so here we go, friends. I got a, I got a globe uh, here from the office, and it spins, right? And I don't have anything that looks like the sun, so I found a box of sunrise blend Starbucks. So it happens to be yellow and it's called Sunrise. This is not a plug for Starbucks if Starbucks is watching our YouTube channel. So here's what, here's the sun. So imagine this is the sun and imagine this is the earth. The, the truth is that everything that happens on planet earth has direct uh, influence by its relationship to the sun. So when the earth is spinning around the sun, and its orbit around the sun, the way it's tilted toward or away from the sun impacts whether or not it's summer or winter where we live. So right now we live in the northern hemisphere and we're tilted a kind of away from the sun. And so as a result, it's cold and it's snowy. As a matter of fact, I'm recording this a little bit earlier in the week. We're supposed to get another five to eight inches or something crazy this weekend. We are tilted away and all of that is influenced by our orientation around the sun, our orbit around the sun. Not only that, but the earth is spinning, right? And so depending Depending on which side of the earth is facing the sun, that will determine whether or not it's dark or night. Actually, our distance to the sun matters too. If we were a little closer to the sun, it would be too hot and it couldn't sustain life. But if we were a little further away from the sun, it would be too cold and it couldn't sustain life. So everything on planet earth is somehow related to its, its connection to the sun. It's everything in planet earth and its orientation around the sun. It influences all of human life. That is how our relationship with God is. That's how our love for God should be. Every aspect of who we are as human beings should be oriented towards and orbiting around who God is. All of our desire, 
all of our devotion, all orbiting and oriented around who God is. And if at any point in time it tends to turn away, it's going to have drastic effects in our life. At any point in time, we kind of begin to drift away or we have divided loves that's going in this direction or that direction. It's going to have effect on our lives. It doesn't mean necessarily that um, when we have a day where we're not necessarily feeling particularly loving for God that we've lost our salvation. No, it just means it has an impact on who we are. So imagine for a second, we just took these four aspects that, that the Bible talks about here, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we took those four kind of components apart. And we were to say, look at how those are kind of orbiting around the sun. How close are they? How, how focused are they in, right? If we were to look at and say, oh, these different aspects of my life, how much are they oriented towards God? How much desire and devotion in these different pieces? So let's just take, for example, the mind. This is a simple one. How much of our thought life, our intellect, our, um, our reasoning is oriented in th- about thinking about who God is, what God is like, uh, what, how he has ordered the world, what his opinions are about life? I mean, how much of our thought life is occupied around that? Well, the truth is that if that's not something that crosses your mind a whole lot or you give yourself a lot to, it probably means there's some opportunity for growth there in your life to love God with all of your mind. And we could go through and we will go through each one of these different aspects. The point is that we have to decide that everything in our life is going to be orbiting and orienting around who God is, that our desire and our devotion is kind of facing him and understand how it's going to affect us when it's not facing him, when it's not oriented towards who he is and orbiting around who he is. You see, the earth doesn't have a choice about its tilt on its axis and how it's spinning and how it's orbiting around. It just is what it is, but we do have a choice. One of the beautiful things about humanity is that God has sovereignly in his will made us co-collaborators and conspirators with him in this creation. And we have a choice about what we'll put our attention to, about what we'll give our heart to, about what we'll use our strength to accomplish. So we have a choice in all of this. And taking a look at these different aspects of our lives, even though it's a little bit, um, like I said, uh, um, it feels a little bit um, awkward to pull them apart because they're so integrated. It helps us to see, gosh, there's a part of my life where I know I'm not loving God with all, (laughs) right? So as we kind of get ready to wrap up today, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter message, and intentionally so, because this is getting us to begin to think about some of these different aspects of our lives. And do I love God with all my mind, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength? Or maybe just leave those, those pieces out. Do I love God with all? How does that word strike you? Does it feel like right away you go, no, I don't love God with all. Forget which component we're talking about. I know I don't love God with all. Maybe you're thinking, well, I think I do, but I'm not really sure. Well, this is a great opportunity for us to take a look at this. And again, um, this is a little bit tricky because to talk about loving God with all is like a never-ending project. Like, my guess is we're all one day going to meet Jesus face to face. And 
we will look and we will see aspects of our lives when we see how great and glorious he is face to face. I don't think we'll feel shame or sorrow or condemnation, but my guess is, again, this is just, this is just me and the way I think about this. As I'll, I'll look back at my life and see, gosh, there was a part of me that wasn't completely yet surrendered here. There's a part of me that hadn't fully given myself to you. Now I know and I see who you really are even more than I thought, and I can't wait to give you even more of myself even now. See, I think that we're always going to be moving toward all, right? And, and I know that that maybe can even feel a little bit defeating. Uh, uh, let, me just, let me just name something. I think there's a religious kind of spirit that so many of us have grown up uh, around church and been exposed to that just feels like it's never enough. It's never enough. God, how, how I, can't, I don't know what else I can give. I've given you everything of myself. It feels like it's never enough. I'm telling you, that is not God's heart toward you. His heart toward you is not to say, it's not to take more from you and say, ah, you're not giving enough here. I need to take more from you. His heart is, I want to give more of myself to you. But in order for me to give more of myself to you, you've got to posture your heart. You have to reorient yourself around who he is so that you can receive the good life that he wants to birth in your life. I don't mean that he wants to give you a perfect life where everything's going to go, go um, you know, perfect in every, in every way. What I mean is that he wants us internally to experience life abundantly, to have life to the full. So like I said, to have live, feel like, not livers, rivers of living water flowing from within us. That, um, I don't know exactly what that means, but I know if I think about what a, what a, a, a river of living water sounds like, I can imagine it in my mind. I know that's what it should feel like internally in me. That is his heart posture for you. Not that you would feel like you have to burn yourself out more and try so much harder to love him, but instead to recognize where we have competing loves. And the thing that's making us tired isn't more love for God. It's those competing desires, the competing devotion that we have for ourselves. And what God says to, to us over and what Jesus says is like, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll teach you my way of living. And Jesus was fully devoted to the Father. The one person who has walked on this earth for whom there was never any division, who loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind and all of his strength is Jesus. He walked on this earth and he lived as we are intended to live. And because he lived that life, we can have that life too. And that's what he wants for us. So, so don't let that religious burden, don't let the baggage of your past influence what the, how you're receiving this right now. There is an invitation to experience love for God that uh, results in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and all the things that we aspire to be. So this week, I want you to press in and think about what would it look like for me to love God with all with all. Maybe even there are one of these aspects that I've mentioned today that right away you, you recognize, yeah, I feel like I love God with all of my heart. I feel that. I feel that. Or maybe right away you recognize, I don't know even what that means to love God with all of my strength 
or with all of my soul. And so maybe you feel a little disconnected. That's okay. That's good. That, what, that, what can happen is the Holy Spirit can shine a spotlight on those areas and then we lead us into greater and deeper desire and devotion for God. And again, just remember that that is his heart and he's made a way uh, for us to do that. So let me pray for us. Father, I'm just so thankful that you are our Abba, that your face is turned toward us, that you delight in your children and that you, you just love when your children love you. God, and that you are so jealous for our love, not because... Um, uh, God, because you need anything from us, Lord, but because you know that you have fine-tuned us to work the best, to operate best, that every aspect of the human heart works its absolute best, God, when it's oriented around you. So, Lord, I pray that you would begin to stir up in me and in my friends a sense of what it means to love you with all. And would you highlight for us any area of division in our hearts, any area of divided devotion, any idols that we have, God, that have a piece of our heart, any area of our life that we're guarded and we're afraid to give you. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just begin to free us from that and instead help us to give over to you every aspect because you are trustworthy, Lord. You are trustworthy. You are trustworthy with our heart. You are trustworthy with our mind. You are trustworthy with our body and with our soul. We have no one else we can trust other than you, the faithful one. Jesus, would you draw us to yourself? Would you cover us in your grace and your love? And Spirit of God, would you bring conviction and hope and joy and peace as we surrender to you and to your way? In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great week.